Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. I'm here with David again. How, David? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Hi. Uh, so we have um, a few things today to discuss. It's being every week is full of stories and everything. And uh, this week we're gonna focus mostly on uh, e-commerce uh, news and facts. So we have a few. Um, Updates on the Walmart Shopify new partnership that was just announced, I think, a couple of days ago or earlier this week, I think. Yep. Uh, then we're going to discuss the retail sales, which seems to be um, seem to be picking up for for now. Deconfinement starting to happen in most of the states. Uh, Facebook that also leads to Facebook advertising costs and overall advertising online advertising rates uh, going up again, even probably now higher than they used to be. And uh, and then finally we're going to talk a little bit about the. Um, well, what has been nicknamed as the GAFA tax, which is the European, starting in France actually, is the tax that was they're trying to impose into the American uh, tech companies, uh, most of the major ones like GAFA, meaning Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. So it's a little controversial thing, and there's been a lot of war between the uh, European economic uh, ministers and the U.S counterparts, including Trump himself. So um, we'll go through that briefly just to see what is going on with that. But uh, before that, let me just uh, roll the music and get started. None of you people can tell me to stop. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. Hand over my heart. I do this for my town. I do this for my crowd. So turn me up real loud. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. All right, welcome back. Uh, David, so first of all, Walmart Shopify, you um, you actually brought it up to me. I didn't even hear about it until early this week, I think. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, I forgot when it was. I think it was Monday. And um, <clears throat> it's funny because we've been discussing these partnerships lately with uh, Facebook shops and, and Google is doing their own thing with uh, Google shops or whatever they call it. Uh, Google Shopping. Okay, Google Shopping. And then now Walmart, who's not the first time they tried some kind of partnership too, are also partnering with Shopify, uh, creating some kind of a combined uh, marketplace, I believe, right? So could you, um, I know you, you, you sent an email on Tuesday, I had to admit that I haven't read it yet. Mm. I know, I know. Well, you wouldn't have so many questions if you just read the email. I think it's easier to just ask you. I know I'm going to have you on the podcast, so I just basically uh, focus on the important emails. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> Yeah, basically they made a partnership that was between the two. So if you're a Shopify seller, you can now apply to be on Walmart's marketplace, walmart.com. And if you are approved, then it's not like Amazon where you have to make listings and everything custom for Amazon. Um, they just basically pull from your Shopify catalog and put it directly on Walmart. And your orders and everything go through your Shopify dashboard. So you basically are adding an extra distribution channel without having to even really monitor it. So it really looks more like a Facebook shops or Facebook partnership that they have, <clears throat> they have already with Shopify, right? Where you have your catalog that is yeah, synced similar. up with, with Facebook. And then, well, with shops is different, but before with Facebook, people will like click and then they check out and everything will happen at your store. Um, so with Walmart, it looks like it's gonna be more on that yeah, they're just trying to make it seamless. So if right. you're a Shopify seller or merchant, you can just basically connect to Walmart and you're done. And then all the orders come in through your dashboard uh, is, this, is the same as any other normal order. Okay, so as always, the devil is in the details. So do you know details of uh, transaction costs? Where is Walmart's fee or Yeah, Walmart or? has different cuts, just like uh, every other company does. I, off the top of my head, I don't know all of their cuts. It depends on the category. But yeah, they take a percentage cut. Um, the interesting thing, the, the more interesting thing to me is down the road, um, Walmart launched their Fulfilled by Walmart, which is very similar to Amazon, right. Uh, right. FBA. Th that was select uh, merchants could use it and it hasn't been opened up broadly and they didn't mention it necessarily in this partnership. But I would anticipate that down the road that Walmart wants to pursue that even more to compete with Amazon. Um, so the more interesting thing to me will be when Walmart launches that, uh, how many merchants will jump on board saying, yeah, Walmart can handle my fulfillment for Walmart orders in the same way that Amazon will fulfill orders for your Amazon orders. Uh, but they haven't announced that yet. We'll see. They, they actually announced that back in February, right before the whole coronavirus thing. So right. what their plans for that are exactly, I don't know. Um, and how, if they are going to continue, if they're delayed, 
I don't know. But obviously, if they're making partnerships like this, it's because they are very much looking to expand their e-commerce footprint. Um, so we'll see. That's more interesting. But the bigger question to me is, is it worth it? for Shopify merchants right now? Well, I was going to ask you that. What, what is the, uh, are there any, um, is there any uh, criteria to join or to be able to? Yeah, you have to apply. You have to apply. I don't know. What is the, uh, the application approved or denied I, I based don't on? Know exactly is it based on volume or, or types of goods that you sell or? Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's going to be based on the types of products you sell because obviously certain categories, it's the same as Amazon, certain categories, you need more approvals. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you sell like uh, supplements or right. skincare products, whatever, anything that people consume or anything like that, uh, obviously you need extra uh, approvals for that. Um, now, as far as like apparel, I don't think there's probably gonna be much of an approval right. process. Right. Um, sales volume, I'm sure they will take into account. They didn't really specify those details, but they made it sound like the majority of Shopify sellers could just sell on Walmart. When is that going to be available as far as... I think it's like now. Like, like you can add it as a channel. I haven't seen yeah. it yet, but uh, I, I know it's pretty new. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try it as soon as we can with some of our client stores. I'll see. Yeah, but the, you know, the dangerous, the dangerous part with it is that they want your data. Uh, well, that's always the case, yeah. And the, the difference between Walmart and Amazon is that Amazon is just way bigger. Walmart, like Walmart is obviously huge for retail, but in e-com, Amazon is 10 times larger than yeah. Walmart. Um, Walmart makes up, I think, roughly four or five percent of the U.S. e-commerce uh, revenue, whereas Amazon is basically half. Um, so don't expect like massive volume to come from Walmart. The, the thing that I don't know, the, I don't think that Walmart is above Amazon in terms of morality of saying okay we're gonna get your data because target was doing the same thing target was partnering yeah. with dtc companies and then basically taking a lot of the data and then for those of you who don't know the way target is different from most retail stores is probably what half of the stuff you see in target is private label by target mm -hmm. so they make much higher margin on that that's how target makes their money and so um they were basically partnering with dtc brands taking their data, taking their product ideas, taking their brand development ideas, mm -hmm. and basically just using it and launching their own internal brands with the distribution of target stores and then severing relationships with these D2C brands. Right. So it's like, I, I never trust any big company because they're only going to work with you when they, it's... They want your information and your data and your development. They, they and work with you so long as they need you. But the second they think that they could make even a little bit more money screwing you over they will screw you over they well, don't right. care right. they don't care about but you. I, I mean walmart is notoriously ruthless when it comes to uh retail buying uh, right. i mean they, they are but, there's but, so many but stores. retailers need to be smart too i mean they they are also using each other this is a situation where it's one of those symbiotic relationships where you say okay i know you're gonna eventually take advantage of me and i'm also going to take advantage of the fact that you're a major retail store with much more budget and presence than but i here's have the thing though walmart.com doesn't have that much reach you're not going to well, it's, it's growing i mean it didn't have definitely anything just a few years ago but now it's been growing and they finally it seems like they have their own advertising platform and all that and, and they've been kind of catching up and trying to compete with amazon like everybody my else. my point was that walmart was going to because Walmart's investing so heavily into it, Walmart was going to get big with or without this partnership. Like, basically, they were going to be able to draw in merchants with or without this partnership because they're just investing heavily. And if they get the customer base, then tons of merchants are going to come there. So they were going to get a lot of these Shopify merchants to join anyways with or without this partnership. But this partnership allows them to get much more data than they would usually get. Yes, but also allows them to partner with them or join Walmart in a much more seamless way. You know, that is basically, if you Shopify, I know how they Right, work. but I'm saying, yeah, yeah, they're making, <clears throat> but that's what I'm saying. They're making it easy on purpose. Right. Because they want that merchant data. Mm -hmm. They're not going to make it hard. Like one of the things with Amazon is that they make it hard these days to, if yeah, you are they have a, a new seller. 
tech barrier of entry as far as not just it, tech, just a, like getting approval. They want all mm -hmm. types of documentation and all this shit. Walmart, right. I don't think wants any of that. They want basic stuff, but they're not. They try to make it as easy as possible. Uh, Amazon does the opposite. Now, Amazon, it's because they have such an influx and they have so many fraudsters and scammers right. that they have to do that to basically keep those people out. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it hurts the good people too. Right. Um, I. I, I I wasn't super excited by this. Some I heard misreactions. Some people said, "Oh, this is awesome." It's I'll say this. I just want more competition for Amazon, and right. this is obviously. Well, that's it. that's the whole thing. I mean, the whole. I mean, I was just researching about this right before the podcast, and every article that I read is <clears throat> basically focusing more on how much will this be a competition for Amazon, more than the actual partnership with Amazon. I mean, with Walmart and Shopify. They they actually estimated that about. 1200 Shopify sellers will probably partner, which to me is not a big number. I mean, from all the Shopify users, for one, you're limited to the US, which is not worldwide. <clears throat> Secondly, yeah, but Walmart isn't worldwide. They have stores. Well, in they have places. in certain countries, but right. for the most part, Walmart. Well, well is exactly. US. But either either way, I mean, Walmart is 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 domestic. And they're then, trying to be more international, but they're still very much US. -centric. Right, and then uh, from all the Shopify stores that are in the nation in the US they said about they expected about 1200 to join this partnership i don't know what that means i don't know if it's because like you said they sell retail uh clothing or something that is easy to just list versus if, things that have a little more of a, a challenge as far as being what approved would be much more interesting to me is if walmart said okay we're going to have a program for shopify sellers that you work with walmart.com and then if you are able to hit certain growth or sales thresholds then we'll give you an opportunity to sell in walmart stores that would be a big deal but then there's also the issue of certain brands that i don't like to be associated with walmart yeah and that's the other thing obviously walmart is <clears throat> It's not anybody that sells premium, forget about luxury, but even premium right. is probably not going to want to be in Walmart. So right. this is obviously uh, only for a certain a certain type base. of uh, products and brands that right. want to be associated with Walmart as a store. Because like you said, any any medium to higher end brand is not even nowhere to be seen on Walmart. So it's not the partnership that they want to have. If, if, if they made a, a, a potential route that was clear to get into retail stores saying, like I said, like if you meet certain sales thresholds on walmart.com, we will give you test rollouts and opportunities to sell in Walmart stores. Mm -hmm. That would be a much bigger deal to me because that's real distribution. That's basically Walmart wants the value from the Shopify sellers without giving them too much value back. But if they op offered them the opportunity to get in Walmart stores, that's the real value play. And so if they did that, which maybe they will do, I don't know. That would be that would interest me much more. Then I would say, okay, maybe this is something that's worth. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking is that maybe Walmart will give a <clears throat> special advertising rate uh, for the online advertising to the sellers that Shopify I has. Because Walmart has their that. own advertising service now or server or agency in-house similar to... They uh, do, but th how are they going to do that? It's just auction-based. How are you going to discount well, the auction? Well, but they can give you... It's auction-based within their system, so they can give you a discounted rate as far as uh, per thousand impressions or whatever, or maybe less fees from uh, sales or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking that there has to be a little bit of an incentive for people to say, okay, I'm going to be with they this can do Walmart ad credits. Thing. Right. But um, they don't want to do that. They want to make money from advertising. That's the thing. That's why I'm saying that it's not that beneficial for Shopify sellers because you go there and it's not like you're just going to get sales. You have to promote your store on top of that. So oh, they want you not just to put your products on Walmart, so that they can get a cut from them, but also to spend money on their advertising platform, send some of your customers to Walmart. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm saying it's not so clear to me the exact value proposition here for the Shopify. Yeah, seller. I wouldn't send my customers to Walmart. I would just wait for them to somehow be recommended. When you search for something on Walmart, Walmart algorithm is going to recommend, oh, there's a similar product yeah, here. Yeah, but if someone's <clears> searching <throat> directly for your product, then Walmart's stealing that sale from you because they could just buy it on your website. It, right. Walmart's only valuable for new customers who mm -hmm. don't know who you are. And the same thing with Amazon. But if they're just people who are searching whatever your product is and then buying it on Walmart, well, then Walmart's just getting a cut for nothing because they could just buy it from you directly. 
Right. Yeah, so that's, the that's only, correct. The I, only I don't know how many people will do that if, if I'm buying well, something. Well, lots of people do it. I mean, we run campaigns for Amazon clients all the time. And, you know, it's always a balance of we. I can see sales that come because obviously we have to bid on our own keywords because with our mm -hmm. brand name because competitors. No, and yeah. So I can see this is how many people bought from just searching directly in the right. Amazon search bar. And, and Walmart has the ability to offer two-day delivery, even in some places also same-day delivery or no, one-day delivery. No, not for this, because uh, that's what their fulfillment plan. Right. But right now, it, it's the Shopify person's responsibility to fulfill it. Oh, okay. So they don't even have, they, don't, no they can't even offer the shipping part. That's why I was saying it would be more interesting if they did, if okay. they had their fulfillment, but they haven't done that yet. There okay. was not announced here, basically. Okay. Yeah, that would be the thing that is the real deal. You know, not always sell for you, but you still fulfill it because I don't even know if some of the stores will be able to, if, if they get a massive influx of traffic coming up for Walmart, do they have the infrastructure to fulfill those orders at the right time? You know, if they're used to selling. That'll be a good problem. I don't right. think anybody, I know it's a good problem, but it's still a problem. I don't think anybody's going to get a massive influx of traffic from Walmart. Right. That's I mean, but thing. you're used to selling 25, 30 units a day of whatever you sell. And now all of a sudden you have 60, double, maybe. I don't know. Depending on, on the Walmart traffic and all that stuff, then that's, that's a significant change for improvement or... But, yeah, how are you going to get for, that though? Right. It doesn't happen like magic. <clears throat> no, it's just when you, again, when you go to the Walmart marketplace, I'm just saying in case, um, if I'm looking for... I'd be much more concerned of, oh, I put my stuff on Walmart and nobody's finding it because... Right. I'm not spending money to promote it, which Walmart wants me to No, do. I think I think when I go to Walmart as testing stuff and, and for other clients, I see that I'm looking for a product, but Walmart is basically recommending, in fact... They have a wicked system there because even when you go to your particular product on the top, it's still like Amazon that does it at the bottom that says customers also looked for these products or bought these products. Walmart has it at the top. So even before you get to your products, sometimes you see other competitors' products at the top and then you get down to the one that you're looking for. So I'm just saying if uh, if Walmart... Um, you know, algorithm just kind of puts other products and then you get your product listed with somebody that is looking for something else, you know. So anyways, we'll see how it goes. Um, so is implemented effective now? Yeah, I think it's available. All right, we'll check it out. We'll, we'll have a follow-up on this in the next few weeks once we we may actually add it to some of our clients because I know that we're big into uh, trying to get into Walmart. So we may be even be able to do that. So, uh, which leads me into the next topic, which is actually retail sales. Um, we saw this week too that uh, retail sales in May, which is if we remember, we started um, deconfining the country at the you know mid to last to the end of May, and so retail sales in May, meaning physical retails, not online, were up almost eighteen percent uh, compared to April. So that's actually the highest increase month to month ever, which obviously is not unusual because of the situation we had when everybody was forced to be home or confined for the entire month of uh, pretty much half of yeah, March. But it's still way down. Yeah, year I'm, year. I'm going to get to that. So, so basically, retail sales were up 18% average. Okay, There's groups that were higher and lower. Um, but we're still down about 6-7% um, year over year, basically compared to May in 2019. So, but the thing is that, um, as we notice, just ourselves, just going around, um, retail stores like clothing stores and uh, were the ones that benefited the most. Uh, there's other sales that were not that increased. You know, obviously, <clears throat> travel and other stuff was not really picking up just yet. Uh, auto sales were okay. Uh, but clothing stores and normal big box stores and stuff were having quite a bit of sales. So that's a sign that people were just, um, you know, trying to get out, you know, trying to get out and do something. And a sign that some people, well, like we said, they had some money to, to spend. And they were just trying to get out and, and do stuff and buy, and buy it, despite the, the fact that they have this social distancing of masks and everything else that still didn't prevent them from going out and, and buy things. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. Obviously, people, if you don't go out for two months, three months, then it's like, oh, yeah, let's go out. But then let's see how things recover within another three months from now and where things are at. Yeah, I mean, to that end, the outlook from retailers is not that bright. It's not like they think, oh, we're going to go back to normal in the next two, three months. In fact, they're still, I mean, right now we're seeing already the... Um, 
the number of cases and things spiking a little bit in some states, including ours. And, and you know, some people say, yeah, they're spiking just because we have more wide, more wide testing right now that everybody's being tested. But it's also not just that. They also say that there's more um, contact type um, spread of the virus and and they say that they may have to go back to put more restrictions in in terms in terms of how the things start opening up or you know for places where people congregate like even shopping uh retail stores or even sporting venues and things like that so we'll see how it goes but i mean i, th- I think it's a good sign i mean i think with everything was closed completely and then you see that one of the things that we're, we're talking about is that people it is one thing when you open the stores another thing is when people would be ready to go out because some people were still afraid to go out saying okay well i'm not quite ready to go to a restaurant or i'm not quite ready to go to a movie theater which obviously they're still not open uh, or i'm not ready to go shopping just yet or try clothes or things you know so it seems like people are going out um we'll see how this maintains or if we even get levels to the same levels that we were last year this time and we were talking about what's going to happen this year when we get to the holiday season, which is kind of far away, but it's still close enough to start planning, you know, with the Black Fridays and the Summer Mondays and how much of the holiday season will be in-store shopping versus online shopping, you know, because online sales have been skyrocketing too. So, um, any questions, comments on that? Any, uh, no, I mean, well, well, I, just, I mean, you've seen it. I mean, we talk all the time when we go to just just going around driving, and you see the stores. No, I are, mean, yeah, I mean, I don't like to use anecdotal <clears throat> data. I just like to look at the actual data. Well, this is the actual data. Uh, this is, but overall, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're gonna see a quick bounce. Yeah, like restaurants have been doing really well as things reopened because people want to go to restaurants. Okay, that's great. I understand. But where will things be in another three months? That's what matters more. Uh, you know, tons of these companies have already declared bankruptcy. Uh, I mean, we're looking at more than a third of all U.S. malls being shut down. So retail is not going to just bounce back like it, like nothing happened, basically. So even though you see, oh, 18% growth, biggest growth ever. Well, yeah, because we've never had right. everything I mean, all it takes is we have zero customers and now we have 18. I mean, that's even, even last month, even with the growth again, like one of the categories that was hurt the most was apparel. I mean, apparel is still down like 40% for the year, year over year, basically right. sales. So, well, yeah. I mean, people don't go out, they don't need to buy clothes, you know, right. and, and like that is a lot of things. So, uh, not to mention that, yeah, when you have 40 million people who lose their jobs, some people save more money. This is the thing. I think that one of the one of the categories that was least affected was actually luxury. Why? Because who was affected by this uh, pandemic the most financially? Rich people were fine. Most people who make money right. can work from home mm-hmm. uh, and they were fine. It was the basically lower income people or people who work service jobs, in-person jobs, things like that, that a lot of times have less money. They were affected. But those people don't buy luxury products anyways. So it seems like the premium luxury area wasn't really affected as much. But everything that was middle and lower market was very, Mm -hmm. very roughly affected. And I don't think that those are going to come back right away either. Right. Well, one of the things that's clear is that the the, uh, habit of buying online has been pretty much established now with majority of population. I mean, the the online growth of uh, online shopping has been pretty pretty dramatic as we discussed before over the last you know six to eight weeks and uh, and that also leads me to the next topic which is uh we're talking about facebook or online advertising costs and uh we just came up with um actually having here <clears throat> this is the latest numbers from uh, facebook advertising and we can see how in january we're at <clears throat> this is cpm or, or cost per thousand impressions and we had january was at 8.59, then February peaked, and then when the uh, pandemic officially started, you know, as far as shutting down things, it went way low because most of the advertising pulled out. And then advertisers started realizing, hey, we need to uh, go back online because that's where people are these days. So it went up to 8.86, and now we're back to 9.57 for, this is just <clears throat> cost per thousand impressions. But uh, the thing that actually amazed me more, and this is by sector and by, uh, uh, but the cost per click, which is really obviously what we're looking at sometimes. This is January, it was 71 cents, and then February, and then it spiked again in April when we started opening, and now is the highest it's been so far this year. Now we're paying the average for Facebook, Instagram is 101. So clicks are becoming much more expensive, which means there's much more demand for, for that ad space and that click. So 
demand means that there's a, in the beginning there was a lot of uh, social media users that we noticed, but there was not so much buying because people were like still kind of trying to find their way around and trying to go to stores and trying to find supplies. And then it got to a point where stores were basically shut down. Most of the non-essential business like supermarkets and things like that. So people had to buy online. And then the only way you buy online is either you go to Amazon, which was the big winner, or you advertise your online sales, you know, on retail stores. And, uh, and that's what indicates basically the cost of advertising. So I wonder, I don't know if you have more data from, from your day-to-day um, campaigns, but I wonder how much more that is going to increase from here to the end of the year as far as, because I mean, we see that we are, it's normal that in January is lower because that's yeah, after the end of the year. Yeah, I was going to say January is, <clears throat> I wish these guys had expanded it more because right. January is one of the lowest of the year because uh, you come right off November, December where you have the highest ad rates right. of the year. Um yeah, I mean, over a dollar click average. See, so, so the problem with these charts, though, too, is it's broad across all of Facebook, mm-hmm. which is like not that helpful because it, depending on what you advertise, you spend much more or much less, or I should say, can afford to spend much more or much less. Um, so a dollar per click is very generic and there's some sectors that maybe they're paying less per click right now than normal and there's other sectors where they're paying way 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 more per click than normal it just depends uh it's the same thing with like it's no different than like search ads you know like right right if i say the average search ad is two dollars a click but then there's some that are ten some that are one so uh, it's we understand, but we're measuring apples to apples so we're saying okay the average in general was 0.71 no overall it is certainly up because the biggest, I think I mentioned I mean, It's this. almost a 50% increase from January right there. Yeah. Like I said, January is a even, Yeah, January is probably month. I'd like to see year over year compared but, to I last mean, May. But even February, which is when things start to pick up, and it went to 76. Do they happen to have year over year compared to last May? Um, I don't think so. Um, my objective, I don't think they go back. Yeah. I'll Anyways. Look. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean... CPMs have been going up. They were going up for constantly for years. And then over the last uh, year, year and a half, probably maybe a yeah, year and a half, maybe even two years actually now, um, they've pretty much flatlined as far as CPM mm-hmm. growth goes just because we kind of reached a plateau where a lot of people weren't marketing on Facebook and then more and more and more started to. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest reasons why we're seeing um, marketing now uh, you have to find it. It's fine. Oh, is this it? Yeah, no. I'm looking for. Um, I'm looking for the information you were asking. That's 2019. Anyways, yeah. um, what was I saying? You distracted me. No, you were talking about the uh, the differences between um, year over year versus now, and then how it varies. Oh, basically. oh, oh! I was saying. I think I said this a week ago or two weeks ago. That one of the reasons why the CPMs I think are going up so much now is because a lot of the ad inventory that other companies were spending. Are, have disappeared. So billboard ad spending is way down because there's way less people out seeing outdoor media. Uh, TV ad spending is way down because the biggest uh, the biggest revenue driver for TV ads is sports and oh, there's yeah. no sports. So all those budgets are basically... Now, overall ad spend is down for the year quite a bit, actually. I think it's down... Uh, it, it's more than are you talking overall online or overall global ad spend yeah well global ad spend is down like 12% I think or, yeah, I think even more um, but that's most of the television advertising is being killed basically but basically a lot of the budgets that were going to other places are now going online mm-hmm. um, and especially when times get tough people go to the uh, things that have direct results basically so if if you have a big let's say i have a million dollar a month marketing budget and i say okay well i'm gonna spend uh 250 on print i'm gonna spend 250 on facebook 250 right and i i kind of split it up but then all of a sudden my budget gets slashed because we are hurting to half a million instead of a million a month and i need to really make it work i'm gonna say okay uh, Facebook, Instagram, maybe some Google, basically things that bring direct results. All of this stuff that is for impressions and brand, and that gets thrown right so out. So, one window. question that we get now from some of our clients, and, and that could be in any sector, whether it's in retail or hospitality or services, businesses, is okay, what now, as, let's assume that things start getting back to the new normal. 
you know, uh, you know, assuming that there's no second wave, so things like that. So we'll start getting into the summer, and everything is more or less under control. There might be spikes in cases or something, but we are kind of controlling the situation, and people are going back to work with certain conditions, whatever. But uh, if you are in charge of advertising, what changes your strategy from before all this happened, whatever plan you had in January for the rest of 2020, and then you had to basically axe the plan in mid-February to March for all this situation. And now we're looking forward to the second half of the year. What would you change? Would you go back to your original plan or you say, no, well, no, now I need to I mean, adjust? Obviously no, not yeah. exactly to the original plan, but do you go back to saying, okay, well, let's go back to online advertising or let's focus more on local advertising versus if I was doing more of a global campaign, given the fact that traveling is still kind of a challenge? Oh, I mean, it totally depends <clears throat> on what you're advertising. I mean, it's super contextual. What is the, can you give me like an example? Yeah. Um, let's just say, well, let's just say a, a hotel. A, a oh, hospital. a hotel. Fuck. That's totally different. I mean, I don't know. Um, a hotel. I mean, uh, hotels, I would just be basically paying very, very close attention to all of the daily travel numbers and uh, what legislators and regulators are saying about travel. Uh, hotels are tough, honestly. I don't know what much to say about hotels other than hope that people decide they want to start traveling soon and that there's not the regulations basically get removed soon on all these travel restrictions. But other than that, there's not much a hotel can do. Well, I mean, if you're selling products, you, it's different. I mean, uh, 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 that's why I asked you. But right. yeah, well, hotels, let me, I mean, let me give you pray. that's my answer. Right. Well, obviously, it depends on where they are, too. I mean, a hotel in Arizona now is getting into the summer, which is the low season, no, no, no matter what. So they Arizona hotels or uh, off-season hotels usually advertise more to the local what they call staycations or local traffic, you know, local guests, because they know that people are not going to come here when, when it's super hot, you know. So they try to get like a family or, or we can get away for the local, um, you know, uh, residents, so to speak. Uh, and that might be a little tough, you know, because on top of the fact that it's like, okay, we're just going down three miles on the street or 10 miles on the street or whatever to, to a hotel. It's like now I need, I need to go to a hotel where it's not going to be very hospitable. You know, like it's not going to be, I'm going to have to wear a mask and have the social distance. The restaurant may or may not be open. The pool is going to be, you know. But I'll tell you, for example, I just, I just traveled across country um, last weekend. And um, I actually went from, from here, from Arizona to all the way to uh, Washington, D.C., Fairfax, Virginia area stuff. And I was surprised because the airlines or the airports were fairly okay, you know, for a normal travel. I mean, if you would tell me that there's a pandemic or something and the people were with masks in the uh, terminals and all that stuff or lounges or in the pl on the planes and stuff, you know, it was okay as far as number of people. Now, the hotels, I studied in a hotel there in, in, in Virginia and it was completely unprepared for this situation. I mean, as much as they said that, oh, we're going to do this and that, I mean, the the changes that they made were so inconvenient for the guest. There was no, there was nothing, and this is just maybe an isolated case, uh, but it was a, it was a courtyard. It was a courtyard by Marriott in the middle of Virginia, I mean, of Washington, D.C. area. And it was so unprepared as far as making it comfortable for the guest, despite the fact that we have this extra situation day. Everything was like, okay, to enter the hotel, you need your reservation. You can only reserve online before. You cannot talk to the service person with registration. You have a, to wait and push this button to enter. I mean, it's like you're getting into a chamber or something, you know, with all these things. And then you go to the elevator, but then you get to the room. I didn't see a big Nothing, no difference in the room, nothing. There was not even a bottle of sanitizer, nothing. I mean, it was basically dead. I mean, I'm thinking if this is what hotel experience is going to be and they're trying to get travelers back. And granted, that was just one example, but I would say, screw the hotels. I'm going to an Airbnb and at least I have my own house, my own apartment, my own whatever. And I just, I'm home away from home basically, but I control my things because if I'm paying extra for the hotel and then, these guys are nothing but putting more barriers to me going anywhere, but then I don't get any reward when I get to the room or this. I mean, everything was identical. The remote control was there, the tea was there, the bathroom, everything, no sanitizers, nothing. There was no, I don't know. I mean, I would expect maybe they have gloves or masks or something. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, nothing. It was all saying, okay, enter here at your own risk, and nobody will talk to you. 
even the receptionist or whatever was there was like behind this glass and all that stuff and saying, you need to go here, you need to go there, but don't talk to me. Yeah, I mean, it was sick. So I think they're gonna have a hard time adjusting, to be honest. So as far as travel, I think people are ready. I mean, I saw lots of families, some kids, some parents and children and all together and uh, they going to restaurants in the, at the airports and they were obviously ordering to take away. They, they could not eat at the restaurants, but yeah, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So in that sense, I think airlines are trying to uh, pick up as much as they can. Now, advertising campaigns like we were discussing, I think, um, yeah, it depends on the market. I think um, I would probably do more local, knowing that people will travel less maybe until they feel more comfortable with the travel experience and I will advertise more of the local crowd, the local traffic. And they just uh, yeah, but I mean, depends. I mean, depends who you are. You're a hotel, are you a resort? Are you a part of a chain? Are you an independent? I mean, all those things factor into the marketing. Of course. Plan. So yeah, if you're an independent mm -hmm. resort, your marketing plan might be one thing, but if you're Marriott, then it's a totally different plan. So um, you know, staycation works if you're a resort. Who staycations at a courtyard? You know. No, no, obviously no. This is just an example of no staycation. This is just basically, uh, but you have what they call the FIT, the Frequent Independent Traveler. This is the traveler that is basically traveling for business or something. That yeah, is but that's the other thing. That most of the hotels so, that make money, like like the courtyard you stayed at, right. that's a, if it's in D.C., I'm going to guess they get lots of political travelers right. and business travelers. Yeah, government, whatever, Well, just all those people are not traveling now. So right. if you get your business majority from business travel, you're in trouble because I don't think business travel is coming back anytime soon. Right, exactly. Because everybody says, we'll have a Zoom call and we'll be fine. Right. So right. they're in trouble. Now, if you're a resort, maybe you can start opening things up, offering vacations, offering special deals because obviously people want to get out of there. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I... The biggest thing, though, is the restrictions and the regulations. There's nothing you can do if there's travel restrictions. So um, just pay attention to that. And the second you can start opening things up again, do it. I mean, I don't know How about for retail? Say. Will you put your um, advertising money into your online store that you'll be trying to develop, grow, and, and drive traffic to in the pandemic? Or you start opening saying... What type of retail? Am I a national chain? A um, local mom and pop? What am no, I? No, local mom and pop will probably not do much. But uh, national chains or, uh, you know, yeah, national retail stores that you have stores everywhere. Even oh, at malls well, I mean, or things like that. Yeah, I mean, easier said than done, but I would go all in on my e-com infrastructure now. That's not something that can just be done overnight. And a lot of the companies who basically already had the infrastructure did well. Those who didn't are going bankrupt, basically, as we as we speak. Um, now, if I'm a national retail chain, um, it depends on exactly what I'm selling. If I'm selling uh, clothing or whatever, if I'm if I'm like Kohl's recently opened up, right? Kohl's. See, I think Kohl's strategy is interesting because they're partnering heavily with Amazon. They can do that at their own risk. I would never partner yeah. with Amazon because I think well, Amazon- Well, they're partnering for uh, the drop off on deliveries or returns. For returns and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would be, did you hear that Amazon is gonna buy, well, maybe buying um, JCPenney? Yeah, yeah, that's being around for- If that happens, that'll be interesting. But anyways, what would I do if I'm a retail store? Uh, heavy e-com, but also offer curbside pickup. I mean, what a lot of them are doing already, basically. Curbside pickup, obviously in the stores, you have to manage social distancing the best you can, kind right. of compartmentalize certain areas of the stores. I would, if you can, offer free masks at the door for anybody who comes in, things like that, offer hand sanitizing stations, basic stuff like that. Beyond that, it would be much more just focused on the e-com infrastructure, focus on my fulfillment infrastructure. Because mm -hmm. if you can have omni-channel fulfillment, ship to a customer, pick it up in store, curbside pickup. If you go to, for example, if they're buying things at the store, um, they're gonna have trouble with inventory because uh, one of the things, obviously people, is people try on things. And once someone tries something on, now they can't let someone else try it on. Right. So they're gonna have problems with inventory basically because they don't, yeah, I need to see. I don't know exactly how that works with the clothing. How yeah, they... I heard that basically what some of the stores were doing is when someone tries something on, they put it in a basically separate area for 24, 48 hours or, or something. Or UV lights or something or... Not exactly sure, but yeah, basically yeah. no one can touch it for the rest of the day. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, you're going to run out of inventory quickly. So I would offer basically 
um, if someone comes in the store and wants something, but well, we probably don't have it in the, the inventory. The thing with the sorry, the thing with the retail is that I don't understand the difference between somebody tries something on or somebody just touching the clothing, different sizes at the rack. I mean, I, I, you know, that's kind of tricky too. Yeah, I, 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 I will be curious to see how that happens because I haven't been to a retail store, but I don't know if I go. Typically, I go to a. Uh, shirts or whatever, and I'm looking. No, at the I know what you mean. If stuff, you're looking I'm, at a size, you're looking. Right, yeah, I look them up and see how they fit, whatever, and then I finally pick. Maybe a they have of associates them. doing that for you now. Right, right. So um, it'll be interesting. But if, I, um, if they could, if they can, I would even offer delivery, which is I know something that many of the um, stores were already off, which looking to offer, and they were mm -hmm. partnering. Like I know Postmates partnered with. Who do they partner with? Uh, I forget who, but some. Um, retail clothing stores back in January before all this happened. I th I would continue pursuing that infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. That's right. the number one thing that matters right now. Right. If you have the infrastructure, basically this really exposed who has the infrastructure and who doesn't. Because it has those exposed who didn't, a lot of things. Yeah. They got really hurt. And, and, and also uh, talking about social distancing is such a, such a stupid thing to be honest, because I mean, you, um, like all the all the retail store, all the public locations have these social distancing uh, instructions in place. They have the stickers on the ground, stand here, the next person is six feet apart, in line to pay or in line to pick up food or whatever. I mean, they have all these instructions. People just don't follow that stuff. They're all over the place. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, here in Arizona, the different cities in yeah. our state started mandating actually today uh, that you have to wear masks in public. Um, in in certain places, not in outdoors. Yeah, I think in, anywhere that's a public building. Right. Anywhere, basically. Right. Um, now, okay, yeah, okay, but how are you going to police that? You I know. Have police. But in even every store, even just I mean, a just an example that I gave you when we were uh, I was in the plane and you know you board the plane and they have this social distancing right. board. Right. People that is don't different. know how to people don't know how to wear masks. No. When you wear a mask, if if you. Anybody who's a doctor or a nurse or anybody will tell you when you take a, you can't, you're not supposed to be touching the mask. That's where the virus is. The point is that it gets stuck outside the mask. But if you're constantly touching the mask, you're just touching the virus. Not only that, I mean, people, and adjusting it and all of that, exactly. you're supposed to was, basically put it on, not touch it. And when you're ready to take it off, just right. throw it in the well, trash. Well, this is how people treat the masks, including myself. I want to say people, because I did the same thing, but you have the mask because you have to wear it. The funniest thing you told <clears> me was when you were going through TSA, they made you take it off so they yeah. could see your ID for your face. I yeah, like, you have fuck? it on because you're supposed to have a distance before going to TSA. And then when you are with a guy with your ID on your phone down and your ID, then he says, could you pull it down because right. I need to see your full face. I was like, okay. And then after this, I'm touching the trays to put my stuff. But the other thing is that I was thinking, what is the analogy that I can find how people treat their own masks? And the best analogy I can find is like you have glasses on. Like, you know, when you have glasses, whether it's sunglasses or reading glasses or something, and you're constantly, okay, close distance, I'm going to put them on. Uh, distance, I'm going to take them off. I put in my purse, I take them off, I put them on. You're constantly touching, adjusting, put, you know. No. Well, that's how the mask is. I mean, people were like taking the mask off, putting it back in the seat next to them. And, and then, oh, please wear your mask. Okay, here it is. I'll pull it down. I'm going to drink something. Pull it back on. I, I mean, and it's like, the only, what well, a farce. That's like just a charade or stupid shit. The only benefit shit. of the masks. So, well, first of all, those masks don't, the normal surgical masks don't keep the virus out. You need right. N95 or better to keep the virus out. So the only thing they're doing is stopping you from spreading. So the benefit of the mask is if everybody's wearing a mask, nobody can spread it to each other. So that's basically right. it. So it's almost like a social contract of that. And I'm doing this for you. You're doing that for right, me. Right, right. And that and at the distance. But the other thing that I was telling you is that you, you board the plane with all this discipline. And then obviously the social distance is over once you start going through the aisle and you basically have persons on the left or on the right. Because the planes are doing now, the sitting is window or aisle and leaving the middle seat Which open. is the other thing that... <clears throat> They can't do that forever. They, I know. They'll go out of plus, business. Plus, I mean, you you have maybe one seat, which is I don't know, maybe a foot a foot and a half between you and the person right. next door, or next side. But then you have a person right behind you that is breathing right. on your neck. Right. I mean, it's not no, even. I mean, planes are not designed. To right. Be... But not only that, when you finish, when you arrive, and the captain 
brings the little thing saying, okay, you can stand up and get your luggage. It's exactly the same as before. Everybody That's stands up. Everybody's on top of each other, grabbing up the luggage and everything, and then breathing down each other's neck, just waiting for the gate to open. And it's like, what is the social distance? There's no space on the plane for everybody the, to be six the feet apart. The true solution <laughs> is you're not, I mean, the planes need to be at capacity for them to make money anyways. Right. It's not a high margin business. And then even with middle seats empty, it's like, okay, but no, you're yeah, still exactly. next to people. You still have 60% of the only way, the, 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 what airlines are going to have to do is just basically make sure that sick people don't get on the plane, basically. Right. That's right. what they're going to have to do. Just basically. They, they're going to have to basically, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road, the airlines basically make you get a test when you go to the airport saying. Well, that was the thing that you and I discussed, right. the health ID or the health passport or whatever. I wouldn't whatever. do a health passport and tracing and all that, but. If when you if they have the quick in some places they have temperature checking they they yeah check the but even the temperature is, that's the thing they say you cannot have a temperature and still have it right you could right. be asymptomatic so I don't know there's yeah, no easy solution the, the, the world really is not really for for this kind of uh, no thing I mean so. I couldn't believe <clears throat> New York City already opened up the subways oh, yeah that's true when they just I mean they had the worst they I were know. the worst impacted out of everybody. They and, just and, barely and there's, got out of it. And their subway is not like a steel yard that has oh like... Oh my God, no, it's disgusting. It's, yeah, exactly. And it's so, like they opened it back up. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the cases are already going back up. We'll see how the hospitalization... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not go. super concerned with everybody. I mean, the headlines always say, oh, cases are spiking up stuff. And I know for well, I, fact... I don't look at headlines. I just look at... You can go look at the data. The data. Oh, no, exactly. The data is basically the, the, the Which cases. Which obviously I expected it to go up. If you have nobody going out and all of a sudden... Yeah, protests yeah, and, and subways open and all this. Yeah, but not yeah, only that, you had nobody be being tested it. and now tested is more available. So, I mean, I, I, you can go to the pharmacy or drive-thru. Yeah, drive but testing through. was more available three weeks ago too. Uh, testing availability hasn't gone up in the last three weeks. Uh, it has. I, no, it I, hasn't. I, yeah, I mean, when they announced that it was going to be available in drive-thrus, it was only in selected places and stuff. Now every pretty much CVS you can drive through and get a yeah, test. Yeah, that was stuff. the case three weeks ago too. Yeah, maybe. But how many people actually did it? I don't know. Maybe they, because they were, they were still at home, they were not testing. And now when they start going well, out and back home, to work. you're not going to get it. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But that, now if you go out and then you get it, then you got it. I don't so know. Cases are yeah, wrong. I don't know. I mean, um, as long as the system, the, the hospital system and ICU and all the stuff are well, not Well, yeah, but that's kind of what's happening now. Right. The hospitals are basically saying start, we're going to have to go back to the same procedures we were just right. on. All right, we'll see how that goes. All right, so final uh, topic for the day um, is the um, the DST of the digital services tax. I mean, this is something that uh, I don't think we ever discussed uh, here in the uh, on the pod here ourselves. I think we might have a long time ago because this has been going on for a yeah, long time. Yeah, the basically like last year, I think. We yeah, it started last year. Uh, actually, it started in 2018, and then they implemented Clarify it. Clarify what it is for everybody. Yeah, basically, is is what it's called the digital services tax, and it started in France where um, the government said, we need to start taxing... France, uh, the global hub of innovation. Okay. We need to start taxing uh, tech companies. They didn't want to just point the American companies, but obviously ended up being like that. Uh, they wanted to tax tech companies that make a certain amount of profits or revenues. Um, you know, some of them coming from, from f their countries or advertising and revenues in their own countries. So they pay a tax depending on where they are on, on revenues that pay in their country of uh, reporting their taxes. And you know, this, this is different than the fact that they may be um, uh, having a lower tax rate because they have something in Ireland or this or that. This is just basically a flat tax, almost like a value added tax on revenues just across the board. So they came up with this um, law or this new what they call the digital services tax, which they call the 21st century tax too, because it was something new because it didn't exist, you know, in the 20th century, where they were going to tax tech companies that make over 750 million um, euros in revenue globally or 25 million euros in France. That's what they say, and it was in quotes. So the bottom line is that this tax affected majorly, uh, primarily uh, Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon, to the point that it was nicknamed the GAFA tax. <laughs> and um, so they say, you know, there was a lot of controversy with that, and then it started saying it's going to be a 3% tax. And the other thing, the tax is on revenues, it's not on profits. Yeah, that's fucking insane. I know. They, they're out of their minds. <laughs> there are so many, 
so many loopholes on this rule that they created that breaks so many international laws and agreements for commerce in general saying, oh, we're not going to care about how much money you make or if you invest your profit into reinvesting into your company or in research or development or whatever. We're going to tax you on the revenue, gross revenue. Forget it. And then so so. And, and the way it was worded, basically, even if the country, whether it's France or Germany or England, Spain or whatever, had a similar company that was also a tech company making revenues because their global revenues were not at that level, even though their local revenues were higher, they will be exempt from this tax. So very convenient. Anyway, so when that came out, it was a big you know, fiasco. And then uh, the, the U.S. fought back against that tax and Trump basically fired back saying, OK, well, you guys do that. I'm going to tax 100 percent on anything that comes from France, whether it's wines or perfumes or whatever. And the same thing for the rest of Europe. It was a big thing. And then um, and the other thing is that they wanted to make the tax retroactive, effective January 1st, 2019. So it's not like something, OK, once we approve it, so whatever, we'll start taxing. No, no. The tax was effective January 1st. Uh, of last year. So uh, Macron, Prime Minister of France and Trump came to an agreement and they said, okay, we're going to push it back, <clears throat> revisit it, and then see what we do. Um, in the meantime, the other countries uh, like the UK, Germany, Spain, and Italy and all that stuff were trying to come up, and some Southeast Asian countries too, like Singapore and all that stuff, they were trying to do something similar. They said, oh, that's a great idea. So they wanted to do the same thing. Um, so obviously nothing happened for a while. They pushed it back and now they're kind of back on the table with this thing. All the European countries are so they're broke now that they wanted to get money somehow. And they say, what better way to get money than free taxes from these tech giants that are making me, a ton of money? Let me ask you something. How many uh, big Europe, how many multi-billion European tech companies are there? Tech companies? I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, I know a few, um, um, Spotify well, is, is American now, right? Spot, uh, I was going to say, everyone always says Spotify. One that was started in Sweden. There's another. There's another. Based in LA. There's another streaming video, a streaming music or audio service in France that is very big. It's but actually, are they global? Well, how many global tech companies? I don't know. In I don't know about global. I mean, they have, uh, like, for example, they have Orange, the uh, the telecom company. Okay, but that's uh, a telecom company. Right. Um, no, but those are also also part of the uh, uh, part of the tech company bracket. You know. So I mean, there's other companies, but. Again, okay, but their global I mean, revenue. Okay, but that was a hard question to answer, right? No, 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 no asking, I understand. No, no, that's, the, that's the whole thing. There's let me a, finish. Uh, I'll, finish. I'll let you go. I'm asking the audience, how many global tech, multi-billion dollar tech companies have been started in Europe in the last 15 to 20 years? One? I'm sure there's more. Multi-billion? Global tech uh, companies? Multi-billion, I don't know. I don't know. One? I mean, uh, Spotify? Are there others? Is Shopify German? Shopify is Canadian. It's Canadian, okay. So, I mean, Toby Lucky is from... Germany, I think. Is he German? Yeah. Yeah. But it was it, they're based in Canada. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. None. I mean, obviously, one. Uh, there's, there's a few, few. telecom okay. stuff, and there's a few... Uh, but uh, yeah, it's affecting also like why? Alibaba, some other, you know, Southeast Asian countries. And, and, and why, by the way? Why? Well, oh, because they, it's better to acquire technology than to invent it. No, uh, it's not that. It's why <clears throat> are Europeans dumber than Americans? They can't invent things. No, it's not because of that. It's because Europe is a regulatory disaster that's been building and compounding upon itself. And their answer to regulatory problems is more regulations always. Okay, especially France. No surprise, this law or bill started there. If Europe wants more money and wants to make a lot more money from tech companies, how about they build their own fucking tech companies? That's how you make money. Why do you think America is still the richest company in the, our country in the world? Because not only were we rich from basically the last century, we've dominated this century too because we have all of the global tech companies. Minus a couple Chinese companies, the US has basically made all of the global tech companies. Why? Because we let people build companies here. Europe doesn't do that. There's right. no, a I'm reason not, I'm why not. in Europe, whenever <clears throat> there's a startup from Europe, they don't even, they basically, as soon as they start gaining traction, all the VCs tell them, get the fuck out of there. You can't be in Europe and, and be a VC-backed company. You right. Need to be no, no, here. no. I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just, it's, actually, it's not I'm that disagreeing Europeans with anything. are <clears throat> dumb or not as inventive. It's that they are burdened with mass regulations. Mm -hmm. That's why. And that's what's holding them back. But they, they, the amazing thing for me is how 
any kind of government can come with this kind of regulation or this kind of tax, which is so much against international commerce laws everywhere. Do you They're never, out of their mind. First they of all, first take, of all, you never tax on revenues. Yeah, if they think they can take three percent revenue, they can fuck off. I mean, well, well, that's that's exactly. If the thing. I'm Google, I say, okay, fine, no more Google in France. Build your own. Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole the whole dispute. You know, they uh, is Google, is Amazon, is Facebook, whatever. So, uh, you know, or like like the US is saying, I say, okay, you tax that, then we we'll tax everything that comes from France. I don't care if it's wines, perfumes, watches, whatever, jewelry, fashion. Or I mean, they have a lot of. If industry. I'm Google, I say, okay, three percent tax. All right. Well, we're just gonna basically increase all of our ad rates in France by ten percent to make up for it. So thank you. Facebook, same thing. If I'm Amazon, my normal 15% cut of all sales, uh, I'm going to say, okay, well, in France, it's 20. Right. I mean, the, the, the thing is that, unfortunately, at the end of the day, when all these things are, are, are happening, the consumer ends up paying the, the bill. The consumer always ends up paying. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. So, so if you want a, you know, can't a, a French so, uh, clothing fashion brand and you're paying already a hundred bucks for a purse or something and now it's taxed another 50% on top of that or whatever, you're going to end up paying more, you know, so, or just deciding to buy something else, which wouldn't be a bad idea anyways. But, you know, it's just, it's just that money needs to come from somewhere, you know, and, and the fact that these countries think that they can just say, oh, we're going to tax this company, we're going to create this law that amazingly is not discriminatory, but I refer to it as the GAFA tax, and they say GAFAM because they the way, include Microsoft. They said, they said that it's not discriminatory against the U.S. companies, but guess what? You even in your own Congress, being the, prime min the, the economic minister of France, you actually refer to it dozens of times as the GAFA tax. Okay, well, that's... Basically, custom made. Uh, by the way, I'm not. Listen, I, I'm. I've been very vocal against a lot of the things Amazon and Google and all these companies do, but the answer to beating them is not regulation. It's actually the opposite. Reg, like GDPR was the same thing. GDPR was intended to hurt them, but it just helped them in the end. Because they basically, for Google, it's no big deal to comply with GDPR. Oh, we have to spend a few more million a year in lawyers and uh, making sure that we're basically complying with all these laws. Okay, fine. But for small businesses, they don't have that money. And so it helps basically the bigger platforms when you add these regulations. Big platforms, established companies can afford to basically... Uh, legalese their way around regulations. Small companies can't. Up-and-coming platforms can't. So you're actually hurting the small guys that are trying to compete with the Googles and Amazons of the world. So the answer is not more regulation. And especially, I mean, tax on revenue. What kind of bullshit I know, is that? I know. Yeah, I mean, come on. We'll see. I mean, th this is something that I just started coming back to the headlines for the last two, three days. And uh, even Mnuchin, our... our um, Department of uh, Secretary, Secretary of uh, the, Treasury. the Treasury said that um, when they were bringing it up again, he basically walked away and said, you know what? I don't have time to dedicate to this piece of shit tax right now. Oh, I have more important way, things you know, to worry about. The United States is one of the biggest buyers of French bonds. No, no I know. No, I know. We're not buying and, bonds. And that's why when, when, you know, they double down on this and then we say, okay, well, we're, we're the biggest consumer country in the world right now and we buy things from all of you more than you buy from us. Right. So let's see what happens because we can do the same thing here. We can say, okay, we're going to tax all your luxury goods companies, which is basically saying all the cars or whatever, everything that comes. LVMH, from, yeah, the biggest luxury company in the world. Right. Exactly. French. Exactly. Or any fashion brand is French, or a lot of stuff, perfumes and anything in the in the you know fashion industry too. So and not just and that. like I, mean, I said, these companies, if they end up passing this law. And, and Amazon now has to pay 3% of revenue, they're just going to increase their fees on sellers and it's just going to hurt French sellers more. Right. That's all they're going to do. Amazon's not going to lose money. You think Amazon, Jeff Bezos is in the business of losing money? But that's the thing. No. I mean, they're still paying their taxes, uh, you know, in their in their countries plus their local countries. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, they want to get, they pay sales taxes or VAT over in Europe. They pay those. Right. Okay, but or, if you want to add more, they're basically, <clears throat> we in the U.S., you can talk about corporate tax law and all of that and loopholes, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but at the end of the day, we collect a ton of corporate taxes because we have a ton of huge corporations here. Mm -hmm. France doesn't have a ton of huge tech companies to collect taxes from, right. basically. And so because of that, they want more. Okay, 
build your own tech companies. That's the answer. Okay. Right. If Europe wants to make money from tech, build tech. All it's right. Not that we'll leave it at that because I, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. As uh, basically economies across the world, including ours, will be pretty shattered after this pandemic and uh, who recovers faster is who's stronger i think the u.s i always said that we'll recover much faster whether faster it means right away or in years i don't know but it's definitely going to be faster than pretty much any other country in the world so um but any other country is going to try to resort to whatever they can do to gather money uh and if they cannot print it themselves they're going to try to get it somewhere else and this is one of the ways so we'll leave it there um food for thought if you have any uh, ideas or questions comments as always just leave us um leave us a comment at um, mgrunplug.com or mgrh.com. And um, that's all we have for this week, actually. Anything, parting thoughts or anything, David? No, that's it. Excited? Okay. Yeah. It's getting hot. It's time to get summer. is actually officially starting in two, three days, 21st June or something. I don't know. It started a long time ago here in Arizona. Yeah, in Arizona, we don't know. We started summer like right after New Year's, I guess. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much for uh, listening today. And uh, we'll be back um, next week with uh, more stuff. All right. Thanks. Bye. See you.